Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, remember what's going up, going on up until now, okay? In John chapter 12, Jesus had just finished his public ministry. And I love that he finished his public ministry with, with an exhortation for salvation. And that's what Jesus always does. He has a heart for people. And he had finished up his public ministry. Chapters 13 through 16 are all about a private ministry that he's going to have with his disciples. Jesus is going to now pour into, uh, into us, if you will, certain truths that will help us in our walks with God. You go, well, like what? Well, for example, Jesus is going to be talking about forgiveness, right? We've been talking about forgiveness. Verse 15 says, for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. He's talking about forgiveness. He says, listen, if I'm going to show you servanthood and I'm going to show you forgiveness, here's, here's what I would do. Follow my example. We need to be forgiving. I understand that forgiveness is a, is a tough process. I understand that it takes a lot of work. I understand that it really is strengthened by the Lord uh, in and of ourselves. We can't just go, hey, I forgive. So we're going to see that Jesus is going to speak. Uh, another truth, guys, that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, he's going to talk about heaven. In chapter 14, 1 through 14, he's going to teach us truths on heaven. And I think that's so important. Why? Because heaven is a reality for us. And when I say that, I say that in the fact that there are, we never know when is there going to be our final days on earth. We've all have loved ones that have gone before us, and Jesus is going to teach us a little bit about heaven, looking forward to that. Then Jesus is going to teach us some truths on the Holy Spirit, on the Holy Spirit. And, of course, I could make some comments there, but when we get there, we'll see. And as we make our way, again, in chapters 13 through 16, he's going to teach us about peace. There's some truths. He's going to talk to us about bearing fruit. He's going to talk to us about the world, so important because that's the world we live in. And of course, he before he ends up praying to the Father in John chapter 17, he's going to he's going to talk to about uh, he's going to talk to us about the wonderful his wonderful return to Earth one day. He's going to say, "Okay, guys, be, pay attention because in a few days I'm going to be I'm going to be resurrected, and then 40 days from there I'm going to be ascended. But you guys need to know when I'm coming back." And the difference. Now, we've spent, guys, the last two weeks really focusing on verses 4 and 5. Let's take a look at them real quick. John 13, 4 and 5 says, And Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which was which he was girded. Now, there's, this is, guys, this is an amazing picture right here. We could probably spend six to eight weeks on this one verse, but this is an amazing picture. Why? Because Jesus, okay, takes the position of a slave to demonstrate servanthood as well as forgiveness. Now, picture the scene, guys. Picture the scene. Just uh, a few moments earlier, a few, uh, you know, few weeks, whatever it might be, I don't have the time frame, they were up at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks them, who do men say that I am? And of course, they say, you might be Elijah. And then he looks at Peter and says, well, who do you guys say that I am? And he says, you are the what? You are the Messiah. You are the king. You are the son of God, right? So they understand who he is. The problem is, is that they haven't put that into practice yet. Why? Because now they've come to supper, 
and they should be honoring Jesus as that king and washing his feet. John tells us, supper's over. They missed it. They missed it. Okay? So instead of going, oh, here's our king. We need to honor him. He's Jesus. He's, he's God in the flesh. You are the king. Listen, uh, where's a, where's a, we need to wash. Jesus does what? He takes off his garment and he comes to the position of a slave to demonstrate to us servanthood as well as forgiveness. Now, if you and I were in the upper room with Jesus, this would blow our minds. You go, why? If you recall, guys, it might be required of a Gentile slave to wash the feet of others before supper, but you would never have a Hebrew or a Jewish slave do that. Okay, so we're going... This is crazy. This is great. The supper's ended. First of all, we're thinking, we should have done that. And now we see Jesus get up and do this. I think of our Jesus, guys, right before going to the cross. He speaks volumes to us as he gets down on his knees and he washes the feet. Now listen, of all 12 disciples. All 12. Why? Why? Well, you've got to love the heart of our Savior right here. I want you to think about this. He's about to die a brutal, horrible death. Listen, listen. Right before being mocked, spit upon, beaten, humiliated, and hung on a Roman cross, Jesus' heart, guys, is to serve and to love people till the end. That's important. That's important. It was yesterday that Danny Castillo sent me a video on a doctor explaining just exactly what the crucifixion entailed. And so I took a six minutes to watch this, and it was the word excruciating came up so many times, and I could not imagine. And it brought tears to my eyes to think that's the price that Jesus paid for me. But you got to think about this. I started putting myself in the shoes and I started thinking, okay, if I'm about to die, this horrendous, excruciating death, not on my own, not for me, but for all of mankind, I think my mind would probably be set on that. Okay, in a few hours I'm going to die. Okay. And Jesus doesn't. He gets up and he shows us his heart, right? He says he, his heart is to serve and love people till the end. The highlight verse of this is actually found in verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover... When the Jews knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, I say, hello, that's us. He said he loved them to it to the end. If you're a highlighter or an underliner, I think that's a great verse to underline it. Jesus loved them to the end. He wasn't focused on, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow, next week, next month. He goes, I'm going to just love the people today. And I think it's a powerful example that Jesus gives us loving people to the end. So I thought, well, before we jump into our text, I thought, let's take a few minutes and learn from the attributes of our Savior, basically, as he teaches us, right, how to love till the end. Like, what are some things? And the first thing I see is Jesus takes off his his garment and lays down. You can jot this down if you're taking note. Jesus loves in action. Jesus loves in action. What do you mean? Well, there are a lot of times that we would go, people say, I love you. They just say it, but they don't demonstrate that love in action. Jesus wasn't just speaking it. He actually did it. Why? Because we know that love is a verb. It's an action word. It's, I'm going to show you that I love you. 
And I started to think about it. That's the heart of our Savior. And so I wrote down in my notes, what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your life? When you say, I love you, maybe it just comes out in words. Now, the problem with this for a lot of us is that we've taken the word love and we've misused it because we love ice cream, but we love our wife. We love pizza, but we love to go fishing. And so that word love, but love is really, really an action word. Why? Because Jesus is demonstrating his love toward them by action, by action. For married group, married guys, love could be, listen, an action is not so much going, baby, I love you, but maybe doing the dishes or running a vacuum through the house or whatever else that you know that pleases your wife. You know, uh, my wife often says there's a, there's a great washing machine and there's a dryer, right? We've got a washer and a dryer, but we never have a folder. Well, you guys can be the folder, right? The clothes are on the bed. You walk in and you go, okay, well, I'm ready to go to bed, and you put them on. Love is in action, right? So that might be something that we guys are like, I'm getting, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. You want, you want me to do stuff. Love is in action, man, when your wife hates to put gas and you see that it's almost on empty, you jump in the car and you go fill it up for her. Jesus demonstrated that not only by talk, but by action. Number two, look at Jesus. Jesus' love, guys, does not discriminate. It does not discriminate. Why? Because he understood that he created us in his image and he loves them. And I started to think about that. Jesus, Jesus is thinking, notice who's in the room. You've got all kinds of people in the room, but you also got Judas, right? Judas Iscariot. And he doesn't discriminate. He's like, listen, dude, we're about to wash some feet. I know what you're going to do. Get out of here. Jesus does that. doesn't discriminate. And I think, how does that look in our lives? If we're supposed to have the heart of our Savior, I think, guys, we need to go beyond. And, 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 and what is, I mean, think about it. How, how can we learn and apply this attribute to our lives? How can we do that? Because instantly our eyes are going to judge someone's, someone's, the color of someone's skin. Instantly, if they come in and they're full of tats, we automatically think blah, 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 blah. And Jesus' love, guys, notice, Jesus' love, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't think, where have you been? What's your past like? I don't know if you can hang in my circle. He goes, man, listen, you're made in the image of God and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. We have to be careful, guys, with nationality, um, socioeconomic. Oh, they're poor. They'll never, they could never afford that. We need to love people and love them just the way that Jesus would love them. A good challenge for that is as we go throughout our week, guys, that we see people and we think, was that somebody that Jesus would love? Be careful. Jesus didn't discriminate. Number three, Jesus' love demonstrates compassion. Do you see that? It demonstrates compassion. Why? No matter how busy my Lord was, he always had time for people. He'd have a long day of ministry, and people would still be coming to him, and he would, he would just demonstrate that, right? He would, he would have compassion on them. He would have compassion. Sometimes I think, guys, compassion, well, compassion is a verb, and it really is loving out loud. It's having compassion on them. It's saying, listen, I know I'm busy. I've got a million things to do. But God, you've called me to love people. And therefore, I need to take a moment to go, okay, what can I do? How can I help you? Compassion. Feeling 
feeling what they feel in your heart, putting yourself in their shoes. Jesus demonstrated compassion. I think another way he loved them to the end, guys, is Jesus' love was honest and transparent. You can write that down. Jesus' love was honest and transparent. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, 15a, it tells us to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. But we're not so much interested in winning an argument as we are winning the person to heaven. So important. You see, Jesus was transparent. He didn't want to argue. He just kind of told you the truth as much as he could in love. In love. And Jesus' heart was what? I mean, think about it. This is, this is him. He shows us his love to the end in action. He doesn't discriminate. He has compassion. And his love was honest and transparent. When we look at John chapter 13, verse 1, and it says, having, his, having loved his own two who were in the world, he loved them to end, it's much, much more powerful. Why? Because we should have, this is the example that we should follow. That we should follow. Now, back in our text, guys. Today, we discover the reactions of Peter and truth taught to us by Jesus. Okay, so let's jump in. If you're taking note, we learned about servanthood, guys. We learned about forgiveness. And I want to show you a little bit of holiness today, a little bit of holiness in our text. Look at verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Now, I want you to feel the weight of this verse. Why? Notice what Peter does. He automatically objects to the foot washing by Jesus. What? What? If you look it up in the Greek, it's very emphatic. It's like, Lord, are you washing my feet? And I don't think it's Peter thinks that he's bigger or better than anybody else. I think he simply lacks understanding at this point. You see here in verse 8, we see Peter object emphatically to the washing of his feet. Not because he liked smelly feet or he liked his dirty feet or for some of us, we don't like anybody to touch our feet. Just one of those things. There are people, that, there are some of us that go, ah, oh, baby, give me a foot rub. I need a foot rub. And there's other people like, don't touch my feet. Don't touch my feet. That's the one thing I learned from Nathalie right off the bat. Don't touch her feet. So what's the first thing I went for when we first got married? Her feet. What's the second thing I got after touching her feet? A punch in my chest. But that's a whole other story. Um, but again, Peter wasn't going, don't touch my feet. I don't like it. You know, I haven't cut my toenails. Uh, we've been walking in Jerusalem. And you know what I'm saying? That's, I think he's just missing the point. I think Peter objects at this point, guys, because he felt Jesus should not degrade himself by assuming the position of a slave. He, he's getting it in a little bit. You know, he's getting it. He's going, man, I should have been the one to... Doing this, I just, I just, we were up at Sister Philippi, and I said, "Hey, uh, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ." And then we walk in, and I just, I don't think he understands the point. Peter objects that. And looking at and looking at Peter reminds me of someone else who objected to a righteous act of Jesus. If you recall. John the Baptist, right, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, it tells us that Jesus comes to him at the Jordan to be baptized by John. And it says this, and John tried to prevent him. Uh, John, I'd like to be baptized. No, 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 no. It says, the word of God says to us, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. 
I think John the Baptist had a little bit more kind of going, what's going on here? Remember, kind of the same declaration. John the Baptist looked at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter had that same revelation up at Caesarea Philippi. But now something's going on. Something's going on. And I love, I love, I love what Jesus tells him in verse 7. Look at me. Look with me. Jesus answered and he said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But you will after this. Guys, I think as as believers, would you agree that we all come to the point in life where we don't understand what God is doing at the moment? We all come to that point, right? He, he hasn't exactly revealed his perfect will. He hasn't. And we're going, I don't understand this. And for a lot of us, let me illustrate it this way. It's like watching a parade. Okay, you and I, we want to watch a parade, but we want to see the beginning and the end, and we want to know all that's the parade. But sometimes we just get to see the next float that comes by, and we're going, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. And then eventually when the parade ends, we go, oh, I understand. Okay, I get it. I get it. And I think that's what happens. Eventually it all makes sense, right? We go, oh, that's what God was doing. Yesterday in our men's Bible study, we just talked about trials. And and it was brought out that we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials and tribulations. And that's a tough that's a tough lesson that James wants to teach us. We should be joyful in the trials. And and uh, a lot of the times we're going into trials. I don't want this. This stinks. This is not good. Why? Why should I be happy? This is God. Why? Why? Why, Lord? You see, there are times, guys, like this, that I believe we don't understand what God is doing at the moment. And then God reveals, it could be what? It could be months. It could be years. But eventually, he reveals that. And yet, let me, let me tell you this, guys, and I think it's a great little applicational point you can jot down somewhere in your Bible. There are times when we won't know what he's doing probably until we get to heaven. You go, like what, Ben? I wrote down in my notes, like an 18-month-old whose mama dies from breast cancer. And you go through life thinking, what was that for? God, I don't understand. My friend Joey over here grew up with his mom. My friend Steve grew up with, why, why, was, why this little baby have to grow up without a mom? What was the purpose? I don't understand, right? And those are, those are good things when we just say, I don't understand. And we probably won't understand this side of heaven. One day when we get there, it might be like, oh, okay, I see the whole parade. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You go, Pastor, what do I do in those times when I'm going, when I'm just waiting, when I'm just waiting? We just trust God that he does have a plan and a purpose. Just trust him. God, I don't see this. I don't see. I don't understand what you're doing right now. I don't understand what you're doing. And the Lord goes, trust me. Trust me. I got you. Have you ever, church, had a time when you didn't understand what God was doing? Until months or years later, you just didn't understand. God was preparing you. He was doing some works. And you go, I don't get it. I don't understand. Right? When I was thinking about this, this, this kind of came to mind. The pain of not understanding actually begins to heal when God's will is truly revealed. 
when we have that aha, oh, that's what it, okay, okay. And the pain begins to heal when we start to see God's perfect will for your life begin to unfold. But there's times when it still hurts. God, I don't understand. I don't understand. Guys, future Peter, future, not right now. He's going, I don't, you know, I, I don't think I get it, Lord. Future Peter will understand as he serves the church well and loves people to the end. Why? Because you guys remember that he's going to get it and he's going to have this amazing day at Pentecost and then, and then he's going to just live his life for God till the very end. And then when they want to kill him, they want to crucify him. He says, I'm not worthy to be crucified right side. I'm going to be crucified upside down. I don't want to be crucified like Jesus. And, and he's actually, history tells us, that he was crucified upside down. We noticed a couple of weeks ago in verse 16, it says his disciples did not understand these things at first, right? That's what he says. They didn't get it. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, that they had done these things to him. So there were times, even last chapter, where this like, you don't understand what's going on. And then when Jesus was glorified, they went, oh, okay, all right, okay, okay. Listen, if you're here today and you're in a situation where you're going, God, I don't understand what's going on. I I really don't get it. I don't understand. Just be patient. As God begins to be glorified in your life, he'll reveal to you in his time for your heart, for your heart. But right now, right now, Peter doesn't get it, does he? He doesn't get it. Why? Look at verse 8. And Peter said to Jesus, right? This is the Lord. This is God incarnate right here. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him. Now, I love this because I picture Jesus smiling at him, right? Because Peter doesn't get it. <laughs> and he just smiles. He goes, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. The, I want you to note the Holman Christian Standard Bible says this verse like this. You will never wash my feet. Ever, said Peter. Ever. Okay? Now, when we get to heaven, we're going we're to hang out with Peter for just a little bit, aren't we? We're going to be, Peter, what are you doing, dude? I mean, what are you? You'll never wash my feet. Pete, 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 what's going on? This is a crazy verse. Why? Because Pete says, no, 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 Jesus. No, no, no. You will never wash my feet. I guess at this point in our study, guys, the question maybe you're wondering, why would Peter say this to the Lord? Why would Peter say this to the Lord? I, I believe some speculate that Peter was, he just didn't want to see the Messiah, Right? As a common slave doing a common job. I don't know if Peter was first, but Peter might have been second or third in line for the disciples. And now he's tripping and he's like, hold on. Maybe these guys are going are gonna to accept this common slave example. I'm not. You are not a slave, Jesus. Some people speculate that. Maybe it could be that Peter's misunderstanding of Jesus, our Savior, taking the position of a servant was just a little too much for him. It was just too much to handle. And you go, how so? Well, remember I told you that John's gospel is, it gives us snapshots, not so much details. It's the snapshots. You go, why? Because I want you to understand that, that Luke kind of gives us a little more detail. And Luke's gospel, okay, right before this supper, do you realize that the Bible says that the disciples were argued among themselves who would be the greatest among them? Can you imagine? That's, they're walking into a supper with Jesus going, I'm, I'm better than you. 
I'm, I think I'm going to be the greatest. I think I'm going to sit on his right hand. Well, why do you get to sit on his right hand? Well, you can sit on his left, but the right hand's a little bit more power because I think I'm a little bit more better than you. And they're arguing all around this. And some of the disciples going, who do you think you are? Well, I don't know about you, but he, he, you know, we're his inner circle. And so we were called first, right? First one gets the prize. I mean, come on. So they're arguing this. Who's going to be the greatest? Jesus gets up. And I think Peter's going, oh, no. Oh, no. My heart is convicted. I was just arguing who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus shows me the the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. Church, you want to be great in God's kingdom, be the servant of all. You want to be great. You want to be high and lifted up, be the servant. Just serve people. Well, lovingly, the Lord responds, right? Lovingly. Peter, if I, don't wash, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Well, Peter freaks out. Look at verse 9. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Peter, you're clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Guys, you guys see verses 9 through 11. We need to do some work. Why? Because what Jesus is talking about, what you, we have to ask, what is Jesus talking about when he says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, okay? He who is bathed, you guys see that in verse 10. Um, we did some work. We did a word study. The word bathed there, uh, it, it, it simply means, or, or washed, actually. He who is bathed only needs to wash his feet. It's in the perfect uh, participle, and it means the effects go on and on, leaving a leaving a long-lasting significance or status. So Jesus comes in, and he says, okay, Peter, hold on, hold on. You, I don't need to wash your head. I don't need to wash you. He who is bathed, he just he needs to wash, he just needs to wash his feet. It was Warren Wearsby who points out, and I quote, there is a difference between union and communion. Peter was in union with Christ as one of his own through faith. But sin can break our communion with the Lord. There's a difference between sonship and fellowship. Only as we allow Christ to cleanse us can we remain in fellowship with him and enjoy his presence and power. Unquote. I think that's, I think that's the best way to say it, right? There's a difference between union and communion. You go, what happens? Guys, when we sin, we break off the fellowship with God. Well, this mean I'm saved. No, you're still saved. You, you, you just need to wash your feet. You've already taken a bath. You're already cleansed. You're already cleansed. Actually, as a matter of fact, Paul reiterates this message when he's writing to the church in Corinth, right? He says the very same thing in a very weighty text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, it says this, And do you not know, as Paul writes, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, that's a, that's a very weighty question. He goes, guys, don't you know that the unrighteous aren't going to heaven? Aren't going to participate in this? He says, but do not be deceived. Listen. 
Neither fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetousness, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. None of those guys are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he looks at them and he says, as such were some of you. Now, if we're really honest, we go, guilty. But he doesn't stop there. Paul goes on, he says, but you were washed. You were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Two operative words there that we can write down, the word inherit. You go, what does that mean? It means there's no share in God's future kingdom. That's what it means. Those will not inherit. No, you're not going to, uh, no share in God's future kingdom. That's what it means. And then the word washed here is the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit, okay? So in both contexts, he's saying, listen, when you're washed, when you're saved, you're washed. It's like taking a bath. But because you walk the dusty roads of Jerusalem with sandals, your feet get dirty, and it breaks off communion. So those who are clean, and you go, amen, all they need is a continue. They just need a foot washing from time to time. For some of us, I need a foot washing all the time, right? All the time. Because Pete understands. Pete says, not just my feet, all of me. Not so, Peter. Just your dirty feet. Just your dirty feet. And when I thought about this, I thought, oh, what great rest in the Lord. We only and often need forgiveness from walking in a dirty world, right? John tells us that later on in 1 John 1, 9, when he says, right, we are to confess our sins to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9. But then Jesus says something here, and for the sake of time, he says, he says, but not, not all are clean. Now, feel the weight of this, okay? You, we're not like in the 12. We're not like resting and leaning, Okay. We're not like resting. Now, let me, let me take you back because this just kind of came to mind. You guys understand that the Last Supper was not like what Leonardo da Vinci painted, right? They're all sitting on the table. I think it was imperative to have feet cleaned because as you're leaning on your arm, your legs are stretched out. Guess who the next guy's going to be looking at? Your dirty feet. And nobody did it until Jesus said, okay, let me show you an example. So there they are leaning, right? You and I are watching. And then Jesus looks and says, but not all of you are clean. Not all of you are clean. And I'm like, wow. I started thinking about this, guys, in my prayer. My prayer that those whose heart is not regenerated by God will surrender their hearts to him. You see, being saved has to do with a heart that's transformed, not simply a lifestyle. It's a heart that truly believes that there is a God who is governing all things. And he created the stars and the universes and the sun and the moon. And he created animals and plants. He created all of this. And it's intelligent. It's far beyond what we can think. We have to believe that. We have to believe that, guys, being, being a Christian is, is, is what Jesus calls being born again. I mean, being born from above, that we can't just simply say a prayer. We can't step into a church. or we can't, it's, it's something, it's a work of God's Holy Spirit in our hearts. 
That's what regeneration means. That's what it means to be washed. John chapter 13, verse 12 says, When he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments, he sat down, and he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Can we be honest in church? What would we say? No? <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, Lord. This freaks me out, right? I, I, I know the literal thing. You washed my feet. And I'm so embarrassed. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, you and I know tomorrow he's going to die on the cross. They don't know. They think it's a normal Passover. All they know is that their, their leader, their leader humbled himself to a place where they're just like, and he goes, so you guys know what I've done? And if we're honest, we're going, oh, Lord, I really don't know what you've done. Help me, help me. He says this, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, ready? You also ought to wash one another's feet. There are three things we can glean from Jesus' words right here. Number one, we must take the example of Jesus and serve him as well as serving others. Jesus said, he said, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What does that mean for us, guys? First and foremost, that we need to be, we need to follow his example in servanthood. Being a servant, being a servant means that we have to, at times, put our feelings aside for the greater good of, of God's people. That's what, that's what Jesus did. Second thing we can glean from here is we must learn to forgive. We must learn to forgive each other's sins each other's shortcomings at times, each other's attitudes. We need, to, we need to forgive those things. It's hard, isn't it? That's really hard just to go, okay, okay. But Jesus said, if I have forgiven you, guys, you need a purpose to forgive others. And the third thing, guys, that we can see, what a great example we can learn from is, is that Jesus loved people till the end. He just loved people to the end. And I don't know about you, but that brings comfort to me because I know he was loving them till his end, death, burial, and resurrection. But I want to take that and say he's loving me till my end. And whether today's my last day on earth I know that Jesus loves me, and I don't have to worry, and I don't have to stress. I know that I'm clean. I take a bath, and I know that there are times when my feet get dirty, and I say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I got dirty feet. I got dirty feet. Will you wash my feet, Lord? And he'll say, yes, I'll wash, the, I'll wash your feet with the water of forgiveness. You're mine. Guys, grab onto this verse, right? This is an example by Jesus for us to practice these things, to practice these things. There's just a side note, guys. If you're taking note, I want you to understand this is not a command to institute foot washing as an ordinance in the church. 
a lot of people go, well, Jesus instituted. No, we, we have communion, which is an ordinance, and we have baptism, which is an ordinance. But foot washing is not. This is an example. It's not an ordinance. And you go, why? Well, real simple, real fast, because we don't see it practiced throughout the New Testament. And, of course, we don't see it practiced in the early church. It was an example of servanthood and forgiveness. When Jesus goes on in the text, he says, For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is a great example. Thank you, Lord. Now, in Scripture, guys, Jesus has given us many examples to follow. And as a believer, we should desire the same heart as Jesus. And I think Peter will get it, get this in time, right? He'll, he'll understand this. He says, Peter, do you get it? And he's like, I'm not sure, but he will later on. Why? Because when Peter writes his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2.21, he actually says this. He says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example that you must follow in his steps. Pete, you get it. Pete got it. He got it a little bit later, but he goes, okay, I get it. I get it. Now, what I want to do with Pete is I want to throw that, that word suffering out because I'll, I'll follow Jesus in a lot of examples, but suffering, I'm not sure I want to do that. But no, that's part of the Christian walk, that there are times that will follow even in Christ's suffering example. So Pete gets it. Now, it goes on, okay, last few verses, verse 16. Most assuredly, some of your translations say truly, truly, okay, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent them. Verse 17, if you know these things, notice guys, blessed are you if you do them. Some New King James versions say happy. Well, that really is the text. He says, he says, man, listen, if you understand these things, he says, if you know these things, he says, happy are you if you think about them from time to time. No, Ben, that's not what the text says. Happy are you if you if you do them. If you do them. You guys see that? How many really want to be happy in life? You go, Pastor, that's a no-brainer. It's one thing to know these things, but true happiness, true happiness comes from doing these things. You want to really be happy? Well, the text says that we must serve and forgive and walk in holiness. And he says, happy is that guy. James tells us the same thing, guys. In chapter 1, verse 22, what does he say? He says, be doers of the word. Be doers. Don't just, don't just look at it. Don't just read it. Do what it says. Do what it says. True spiritual happiness comes from doing what we have learned. What we have learned. Okay, guys, I want to land this plane. I want to close our study with the last two verses, and then we'll make a few comments on that. Jesus continues in verse 18, and he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. Lord, what are you talking about? I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, in other gospels, guess what they're going to be saying here in a few minutes? Is it me? Is it me? Am I, be, am I the one that's going to betray you? Lord, I'll never forget uh, one time we were, I was just a kid and had no idea what scripture said. And we got kind of called into this like, um, I don't know, was, they were just reenacting this part and the whole foot washing thing and it's me. And that really impacted me in my heart because I was like, Lord, am I going to grow up and betray you? Am I not going to 
follow you? Jesus says, Jesus says, man, somebody's, I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verse 20 says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whom I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. What is Jesus doing here? Guys, if you're taking note, he's quoting Psalm 41 verse 9. What's he talking about? He's talking about his friend. Look at Psalm 41 verse 9 says this, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. That's deep. That's deep. Guys, you're not all clean, he says. He says, but I'm not talking of all of you. There's somebody here. And even though he's my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who sat at my table and shared my food, he, he's going to betray me. Guys, as we close our time in Bible study, don't put away your pens just yet. Don't put them away. Uh, let me give you an overview very, very quickly. I'm going to give you three points to ponder as we see this. If you're taking note, jot this down. The first thing we must do is consider, consider. We find that again in John 13, verse 1. We want to consider. Let me read it again just for the sake of Scripture. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that, what, his hour had come, okay, he's going to die, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We must consider that first and foremost, that Jesus loves us till the end. The second point we need to ponder, guys, is, is found in verse 6 and 7. And you can jot this down. The first thing we do is consider, okay, I'm considering this. The second thing is we need to understand. We need to understand. It says, then he came to Simon Peter and he said, Lord, are you, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. So I want to consider and then I want to step back and go, okay, Lord, help me understand. Help me understand all that you're doing in my life. Help me understand. And then when I do understand, the third point is I want to practice. I want to practice. John 13, verse 14 says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Practice what we've learned. Be doers. Pastor, what does that mean to me? In 20 seconds or less. Here's what it means, guys. That Jesus' heart is so big and so wonderful. And that we should follow his example. That we should be the ones that are serving. We should be the ones that are forgiving. Even if it, is, even if it takes us down a process. Even if it takes us down a journey. We should still have a heart and an attitude to forgive. And of course, third, we see his holiness. And holiness. Why? Because Jesus, he just pointed it out. He said, listen, once you're clean, make sure that you just wash your feet. 
Make sure you confess right, right away. Confess your sins one to another. Make sure you confess, Lord, I'm sorry I had a bad attitude. Lord, I'm sorry I snapped at my wife. Lord, I'm sorry I ran over the dog. I don't know, whatever it might be. Confess that quickly. Because we're going to see next week, he's going to say, he's going to tell all of us here, guys, that, that people are going to know you're my disciples by the love. You see, this, it's all about love. He loved them till the end. By the love you have one for another. In the context of servanthood, in the context of forgiveness, in the context of holiness. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you spoke to us. We thank you, God, for your precious Holy Spirit. And so now, Lord, as we worship you, may you solidify those things in our hearts, God. Thank you for washing not only our feet, but all of us. Thank you, God, that we can we can Lord, we can wash our feet. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.